Warfield says, look, theology gives you something that sweeping a floor doesn't. It is about spiritual things. It is about God's revelation in Jesus Christ. It is about the good gospel of grace. So this ought to be spiritually enriching. But then what does that gospel call us to? He offers as remedy something of a worshiping corporate community where there's preaching and prayer. And he also offers something of an important remedy, maybe even the way he talks about it, almost more important, uh, the prayer closet. Welcome back to Roundtable, a podcast produced by Mid-America Reformed Seminary. This is episode 31, and I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for joining us. Last week, Drs. Beach and Venema discussed Warfield's assessment of the dangers of theological studies. In this last part of Warfield's essay, he offers his thoughts on some remedies and solutions to counter these dangers, such as a communal life of worship and prayer in a seminary community. Dr. Beach and Dr. Venema take this up right here on Roundtable. To sum it up uh, in the most broad categories is he argues not only is part of the remedy, as we've already mentioned, to pursue studies in a devotional way, but out and beyond that, he talks about the need for means of grace, For uh, to put it most simply, we need preaching, we need worship, and we need the prayer closet. So maybe to begin, I would talk about my own seminary experience because I must confess uh, I, I was a competent, solid academic student, and I didn't always find my seminary studies to be spiritually enriching. That's not to say I didn't find some of my seminary studies spiritually enriching. I just didn't find all of it that but is all of it supposed to be that? Or if it is, what part of life is it supposed to be that? Whether you're a farmer cleaning out a barn or you're a, a Christian who drives a truck and you make deliveries or you're a chef and uh, you have the stress of a busy time of preparing dishes very competently and well, uh, is that service to the Lord, is it done in the Lord for his sake, for love of neighbor? And is that spiritually debilitating or should it be spiritually enriching? Warfield says, look, theology gives you something that sweeping a floor doesn't. It is about spiritual things. It is about God's revelation in Jesus Christ. It is about the good gospel of grace. So this ought to be spiritually enriching. But then what does that gospel call us to? Well, here I'll invite Dr. Venema's comments. Is He offers as remedy something of a worshiping corporate community where there's preaching and prayer. And he also offers something of an important remedy, maybe even the way he talks about it, almost more important, uh, the prayer closet, which is something that isn't in competition with, but comes alongside both your studies, your corporate worship, and the like. Uh, comment on what Warfield says there, if you would. Well, Warfield, in the uh, second, or at least the latter part of his article, 
after having made the main point that we shouldn't have this dichotomy where the work I'm called to do as a theological student, which involves intellectual exercises and engagement with the reading of books and learning Greek and Hebrew, there's a rhythm to life. And what Dr. Beach just mentioned, using the language of means of grace, at Princeton, if you read his essay, apparently at the time of the writing and the delivery of this address, they had morning and evening prayers. They would assemble as a community of faith uh, in distinction from, but not separation from, their academic labors for uh, reflection, meditation on God's Word, the ministry of the Word, and prayer. And he talks about students who might think themselves not needing I'm so spiritually strong and refreshed in my studies that I can forego assembling. And he mentions as well, not only these corporate exercises, what we would call chapel times or gathering for prayer uh, on, on a regular schedule, morning, evening, or at various points throughout the week. He doesn't exclude from that the student's membership in the church, not his home church, perhaps, but the church in the community and area where he's at seminary, in Warfield's case, Princeton, that uh, students can know more than Christ himself, the true servant and Savior. He made it his practice to go to synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, so also as students. He even has some rather interesting things to say about uh, how they should hear the minister if he doesn't measure up to their high standard. Yeah, Not an that, that, Ambrose that, that, that or an Augustine. Yeah, that was a tough one for me, too. <laughs> I think as theological students and also as professors who teach such students, we struggle mightily at times in terms of our own ability to listen to others minister God's word. Uh, in our pride, we think we could probably do that a little better. Uh, but he's, he stresses the indispensability of cultivating a regular pattern, attending and participating, singing God's praises, offering prayers together, listening to instruction from his word. And that should be characteristic of the communal corporate life of the seminary community. It's a worshiping community. It's worshiping in its study, but it's also worshiping in the narrower sense, not of serving God through my studies, but directly praising and being nourished and instructed in his word. Yeah, you know, he, what he doesn't mention, and I think his essay would have been strengthened, is the importance that faculty as mentors of students exhibit this. Now, Maybe it was a given at Princeton Theological Seminary in the heyday of Warfield. I don't know. But obviously, this was a problem then. And I, I would say in my own seminary experience, I knew professors who they themselves exhibited piety and warmth and love for God and devotion to the gospel and a caring, enfolding spirit to students. And others, frankly, were just more like a professor at a university who I'm your professor and here's the work, now do it. And in other words, you didn't see that dimension. It's not to say they weren't spiritual, godly men themselves. I won't presume on that. But it wasn't exhibited. It wasn't modeled. And uh, perhaps 
Warfield himself modeled it well. I don't know him on that level, you know, about him on that level. But uh, I, I would want to add that in mm-hmm. there, that if we want a seminary community to be a worshiping community, that, well, the leaders, the faculty needs to somewhat model that. When you think that would be helpful for his discussion? I, I believe that's correct. It, it is true. I hadn't really thought about it directly, but he doesn't say much about the engagement interaction in terms of a life together of not only students with students, but especially what you just said, students with their professors and professors with their students. Certainly, I, I think that one of the things we've always tried to emphasize is the spiritual formation that occurs in a student, not only intellectually, but also ministerially and personally. If you're not living in close proximity and engaged rather directly with each other, becoming familiar with each other, and observing as professors in the students areas of weakness and strength, um, that too belongs to, call it, the more corporate aspects of a community that studies and also prays and hears the Word of God together in times of uh, assembly at chapel and the like. That's, I think it's like a minister in relationship to his church or a church in, in terms of its members. If there's a distance, there's not a familiarity and an engagement at all levels, a kind of a whole life we're familiar with each other. I know these people, and they know me. Uh, the ministry, even in the more narrow sense of the assembly for worship, is going to be a little more aloof, not quite as in contact with and engaged with the situation of the students. Or in the, in the case of the minister, his parishioners, members of the congregation, um, so that, that too is part of it. I, I, I know that at Princeton in those days, it's a fairly large school even then. I find it ironic as I read this essay by Warfield, because I myself was a student at Princeton as a graduate student, and the notion of morning and evening prayers regularly attended, and that kind of corporate worship and the like, I, I don't mean to say that it wasn't present at Princeton, in some measure, and in some cases far more than in others. But I knew students, frankly, who their only time of worship and prayer, whether during the week or on the Lord's Day, was when they were officiating. If I'm assigned to preach and conduct worship next Lord's Day, I'll make it my practice to go to the church to do that. But otherwise, I don't go. Uh, The idea of prayer as any kind of a regular stated beginning class with prayer, ending the morning with prayer, was only in a few cases even practiced. I think Warfield would, if he were in a time warp and awakened in the latter part of the 20th century, would see that some of the things that he was talking about had almost, in some respects, ceased to be practiced. Uh, where you, you have a strictly, uh, the temptation is very strong to have what could be called a very strictly academic community, 
where you have a very superficial engagement with professors and others. And a lot of what he talks about in terms of the cultivation, you know, he makes a big point at the end, what, you, what we've referred to, it's his language, the prayer closet. He actually mentions a minister who was saying, well, that old say, saying in the Latin, ora et labora, pray and work, well, we just need to labora. We don't need that aura. And it is it is striking that in the account in Acts, when the, the ministry of the apostles was being distracted by undue attention to certain things, they speak of, be, of the appointment of these men as deacons, presumably, so they can give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And never one without the other. Uh, the yeah, two he, are absolutely joined. He does talk about uh, the foundation stone of piety as the prayer closet. And he's not pitting that against the corporate, but he thinks the corporate is served by that. And I think maybe the tilt of the essay is that tends to be a bit more important to him. He uses the example of Luther and Jesus himself in their personal devotional prayer life and the like. In fact, he challenges us, do you pray, as sort of a touchstone there to take measurement of that kind of thing. Um, but he wants to say, look, you you have to bring God and your walk with God, your love for God, into the sanctuary in order for corporate worship to finally be spiritually nurturing and, and nourishing to us. He also not only talks about the corporate life of the seminary, he does uh, talk about uh, being part of a seminary, a church community itself. And maybe that's in my own experience where I maybe felt that seminary was barren, wasn't really seminary. It was that I wasn't that hooked up in any intimate, close way with a local church. I, certainly, my wife and I went to a local church. The local church preached, and people were friendly to us and that kind of thing. But we weren't really woven into the life of the church. And I think that was where, if you want to talk about a graveyard, a, a, an atrophy, was more related outside the seminary community relative to that. That's my experience, at least. And Warfield does warn against that and, and says that ministers or uh, theological students should be active church members. That's something we certainly try to cultivate here at MidAmerica, that students would have a mentoring pastor and a lot of churches are very good at enfolding that. But maybe we could go back a moment that one of the excuses is, and this is really a, a challenge for theological students as they start preaching themselves and growing in knowledge, is they can't help but sort of evaluate the pastor at hand, the preacher <laughs> up on the pulpit. And uh, I'm reminded of something Calvin wrote in his Institutes, if I recall correctly, that we have to humble ourselves to the ministry of men, that that's part of it. And uh, perhaps it's hardest for pastors and professors and theological students to <laughs> humble themselves uh, precisely because. But I, I did have this one caveat with Warfield. Um, we do still need to be aware that 
Christ is preached, that grace is preached, that the gospel is preached, and we're not being served just moralism or legalism or a do this, do that sort of Christianity. So we still have to have spiritual discernment. In other words, it is possible that some people aren't served well. I'm, I'm making no accusations here, of course, but I think most of us have been in churches from one time or another where we weren't served the gospel well. But maybe to bring this uh, toward the end, uh, he last talks about a hint to cultivating all of this uh, piety with learning. And the hint is consider the greatness of your calling, the immensity of the task which shows your finitude, and at the same time, the infinitude of resources at your disposal, which of course is God himself. Perhaps, Dr. Venom, a brief comment uh, to that, and then I'll make one final remark. Well, he does end the essay with this interesting phrase that he borrows, that students in seminary are like angels in the sense of messengers whom the Lord's going to send out into the world and into the harvest, who are preparing to blow the trumpet. And the trumpet is the announcement that we have good news to tell. And so what might sustain and help the, the student in seminary and the cultivation of their piety and devotion to the Lord, both in their studies and in other more stated times of worship and of prayer, is the extraordinary privilege that they're uh, going to have, Lord willing, to go and to tell others. As you said, it's, it's not moralism. You've got, it's good news. They are reporting and heralding and declaring there is a Savior who has come. And he's not just any savior, he's the savior who is perfectly adequate to your greatest and deepest needs. And, uh, you know, to be a herald, to be able to publish glad tidings, to come with a message that is better than any other, it's incomparably better. You really want to be thoroughly familiar with the message, and you want to be as equipped as you possibly can be to effectively communicate that message. And rather than growing weary and sort of withering on the vine, you might say, uh, keep before you also the vocational aim that lies before you. You're, you're preparing to do just that. Well, uh, yeah, he sort of concludes the essay uh, not only with that Cotton Mather quote, which is, is quite startling, the angels preparing to sound the trumpets. Uh, we are messengers like angels, and we the good news of seminaries, you sound, you're prepared to, and trained to sound the trumpet of the gospel. So are we to be Martha's or Mary's? Both have their place. He talks about that. Um, are we to work or pray? We're to work and pray. We're to listen at his feet and get busy with the tasks. And if we're angels preparing to sound the trumpet, it's so that finally we, as God's people and his ministers, 
can put the trumpet to our lips and blow it, the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Dr. Beach and Dr. Venema, for carefully dissecting this remarkable address uh, from Warfield bit by bit. I hope you, our listeners, have profited from it, especially if you anticipate studying in seminary someday. If you know of anybody itching to pursue a seminary education, send these episodes their way. Well, with a seminary education comes plenty of reading, so next time around the table, a couple of our professors are going to give a helpful overview of relevant books that you should read whether preparing for seminary or are in seminary, so be sure to keep an eye out for that next week. You can find us on SermonAudio.com as Mid-America Reformed Seminary. You can also find us on YouTube and Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Podcast Attic. Be sure to search Mid-America Reformed Seminary. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time. 